uh, global connections, uh, getting the M uh, MiG-29s uh, into Ukraine. Wow, it's a chore. And to help us understand what's going on with those MiG-29s is uh, Carl Ackerman, uh, retired faculty from Punahou School and well-skilled, well-experienced, well-trained in Eastern Europe. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you, Jay, as always. So, um, you know, you have plenty of experience with Eastern Europe and Poland and so forth. Uh, have you been able to figure out what's really going on with those MiG-29s? Well, you know, as you know, you and I share an article that you actually found, and I wanted to credit you, Jay, but, uh, you know, what the, what the, you know, Poles are afraid of is sort of getting Russia's acrimony against them too. And so they're a little frightened of, you know, taking off on those MIGs um, from Polish territory. And what they want to do is they want to go some someplace farther west, whether that's Germany or another country, um, they'll deliver the, 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 the MIGs. But they want someone else flying it from, you know, a NATO another NATO country. So um, that's the basic issue. And, you know, I think that, you know, if they could get those um, Polish MiGs, as it were, into you know some place in the western Ukraine, they might be able to to do this you know fairly well. But I, I think it's a right now. I think it's a logistical issue and a fear issue for the Poles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I don't understand why. Uh, I don't understand why they, they actually can't do it. First of all, there's the whole psychological game playing that Putin is doing, trying to scare everybody into believing that if they do anything against his interest um, as an invader, um, they'll, you know, he, will, he will punish them uh, or create a war. He may create a war anyway. I mean, to me, this is all out of Munich uh, and Chamberlain, all of it. Uh, and and one, one of our commentators made a very interesting comment I want to tell you about, see what you think. He said, you know, if we had just done it early without making a big simus um, over what we plan to do, hope to do, aspire to do, and when, which was foolish in terms of a military strategy, um, we would have had control of this on day one. But we were not courageous about it. And we decided we had, a, you know, it's like expiating your guilt. I had to tell everybody what we had in mind. And that, of course, was not going to, you know, persuade Vladimir Putin, the, path, the pathological individual, um, you know, that uh, we were, we really meant it. Um, so his view of it is this huge mistake by not doing it, just doing it right away. What are your thoughts? Well, Possibly, uh, you know, I mean, it's always if history, but, you know, I think, I think that what President Biden is worried about is, is um, you know, pushing Putin too far in a corner where um, he feels like he has no, nowhere else to go. Um, and then, uh, you know, perhaps we'll use the nuclear option because there's, you know, unlike the former Soviet Union, the Politburo, he has no one to check him and um, there are no checks on Putin. So. That's what, and that's a that's a that's a tough one to be. That's a tough position to be in for the you know American president. Having said that, um, you know what's going to happen if the Ukrainians, um, as they're doing now, stop the Russian um, invasion with you know a variety of rockets, etc. Um, you know what's going to happen then? So um, it's it's a difficult question, and I think 
Um, I'm hoping that somehow those MIGs will get into the air. Because if the MIGs get into the air, then I think um, there's going to be a lot of pushback on uh, Vladimir Putin. Unfortunately, I listened to Masha Gessen today, who is uh, you know New York Times reporter, and um, she did not have many um, optimistic thoughts about Vladimir Putin. And I, I tend to agree with her. Um, what do you mean I, by what? What pessimism did she? Well, have? you know, I don't think that he's going to opt for anything less than victory. And if he doesn't get a victory, I think he'll still pull, uh, st still keep pulling things out of his arsenal. What I'm most afraid of right now is um, our uh, damage to the nuclear reactors um, in the Ukraine. Um, because I think if that happens, then um, all bets are off. And um, obviously, Western powers are going to have to do something. And that's going to affect everybody in the, uh, in the near vicinity. But I just, you know, in a wartime situation, how do you pr protect a nuclear reactor? And that's the, that's the big question. And if you have Russian hands in there and they're Russian military hands, but they're not trained engineers and um, um, you know uh, nuclear people. That is, I mean, not that they're people that have been uh, you know have 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 been exposed to 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 um, some sort of uh, nuclear radiation, but people who can really deal with um, nuclear power plants in a constructive way. Um, you're in, in, in a, again to use that Hawaiian expression, deep kimchi. And I think that's where we are now. I think it's. I think we're not too far away from seeing something catastrophic happening with those nuclear reactors. I just can't imagine going on that much longer, especially with the sporadic bombing and um, sporadic, you know, sort of missile launching from Russian tanks and things like this. I, yeah. I, I mentioned this early on in my first discussions, you know, a week ago or a week, you know, what, I don't know after February twenty fourth, and I, that that thought sticks with me and. Um, um, again, I think getting um, Ukrainian MiGs into the air with the proper pilots um, would do wonders for the situation. So that's the that's a critical piece here. Well, two two things. So let, let's go to just in reverse order here. Uh, my understanding is that um, there were that 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 Europe has a bunch of nuclear reactors, including these two nuclear reactors, and they're connected to um, some kind of European. Um, technical Management uh, Association, which monitors the health and safety of these reactors, but they're disconnected. These two are now disconnected. Nobody, nobody is monitoring them. <clears throat> so if they start to overheat, nobody will be able to know or uh, do anything about it. <clears throat> so you're right. I mean, I, I think there's great risk there. And if some wayward uh, Russian pilot hits them yet again, um, they could easily, you know, the cooling system could be broken and they could uh, overheat either one of them. The chances are pretty good that uh, one of them could go off the side and that would be hmm, the end of Ukraine and the end of Eastern Europe. Um, that would be pretty serious and uh, I, nobody could forgive Biden, rather Putin, but then nobody can forgive Putin anyway. He's already in the unforgivable camp. Um, right. So... That's one thing. The, the other thing is, is the, uh, the MIGs. I'd like to drill down with you on the MIGs. My understanding as of what yesterday or the day before was that, um, that the US um, State Department or maybe it was the Pentagon announced that bringing the MIG-29s to Ramstein, which is a NATO base in Germany, that's what it is, 
um, you know, would be, quote, untenable, end quote. That's their word. That's the word that they used, the word that got out into the press. Um, and that word came from the U.S. That wasn't a word from the Germans. It wasn't a word from NATO specifically. It was a word from this administration in Washington, either the Pentagon and or the State Department. Um, I don't understand their position on this. What is more untenable um, between the two? Is it more untenable to put them in Ramstein or to you know, start them, to, to pivot them from Ramstein or from the NATO base in Poland? What in the world is the difference and why is Ramstein untenable when Poland is not untenable? The implication was, well, <clears throat> if the... Uh, uh, Ukrainian pilots would just go to the NATO base in Poland, uh, Poland would give them the jets, or rather, Poland didn't want to give them the jets there. Um, they, want, they wanted to give them the jets in Ramstein. So what's the difference? Well, I, I think the thinking there is that no matter where these launch pads are, that they will be bombed. And I think there's, there's a lesson by, by Vladimir Putin. Um, or they'll try to take out these launching pads. Um, and so the thinking um, is, I imagine, uh, you know, not sure, I don't know what, what people in the, in the Pentagon are thinking, but I think what, what the assumption is that they don't want to expand this into a full NATO, um, a full NATO war, because if indeed, um, the Russians come after the uh, bases in Germany, I think it's a, a more likely scenario that, that all hands are in it, there'll be a huge escalation. If they go after the Polish airfields, um, I think there'll probably be less, um, there'll be less of a, I mean, there'll, there'll be an increased uh, position of war, but it will be lessened because, you know, it can, and, and you know, they, they've talked about how you know, each state has to decide for themselves. I and mean, that's what I heard from the State Department. So that in other words, it'll be a Polish problem, not necessarily a NATO problem. But, but if- Russia was, or rather Germany was not involved in that statement, untenable. That was a US statement. Yeah. And what they were yeah, saying I, is that it's in, in Poland, the US is saying Poland's tenable, but Germany's not tenable, even though the Germans didn't speak to the point, only the Americans. I mean, I'm really confused on what the State Department and what the military, our military is doing here. Well, I think that if, the, if it flies from a German base, then, you know, it's easily discernible as a overall NATO move. Um, if, it's, if it's flown from a Polish base, I think this is the position that's being taken. It's a state move by the Poles to help their neighbors to Ukraine. So, I mean, that's the distinction. But it's a NATO base in Poland. Absolutely. I realize that. But there, the, what the State Departments are saying is that, okay, it's every individual country for itself. But if it's Germany, it's all of NATO. That's, that's the distinction. Whether that's I get, I a, good assumption, a good assumption or not good assumption, I think it's probably a pretty bad assumption. I think no matter where the, the, the uh, planes are launched, they're going to get an attack by... Um, Vladimir Putin, although I think that Putin might be a little bit more cautionary about uh, the West German launch than the, um, than the Polish launch. Although if it's the West German launch, we might see a huge escalation on the Russian part. But 
you know, I think with, you know, 200,000 troops already bogged down in Ukraine, I think that the Russian army is going to have some difficulty maintaining, you know, another large incursion into another country, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a quagmire, but I, I think that um, I understand, you know, everyone's um, frustration on not seeing, you know, planes in the air defending the Ukraines, the Ukraine people. Let me try to identify, and I mentioned this to you when we spoke earlier, <clears throat> my, my problem with that. So uh, Zelensky is the mm, president of Ukraine. He was elected democratically. The people love him as president. Um, there is a functioning legislature in Ukraine, and they work with him. There are all kinds of public officials still in the government, functioning government in Ukraine. And Ukraine is a country. It is a sovereignty. It's recognized by most of the countries in the world, if not all of them. It has existed for years. <clears throat> it has you know, found its way into the family of nations. Um, it has a rich culture. It has a rich people. It has um, infrastructure. It has an economy. All those things. <clears throat> On the other hand, it's being invaded. Uh, now, suppose Zelensky says, as he has said, I would like some help on the airspace. You can come. I'll give it to you in writing. I'll repeat it for the world to hear. I'll beg for you to come, and I'll repeat that for the world to hear every single day. And all my ministers and officials will say the same. We speak for Ukraine and the people of Ukraine and the government of Ukraine. We want you to come here. The Russians say, no, you can't come because we're, in, we're busy invading Ukraine. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And, and so it's not Ukraine's airspace anymore. It belongs to us. They can't call you in because it belongs to us. And it belongs to us is because we claim it and we are <clears throat> invading, we're busy. So I, I find that so ridiculous. It's, 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 it's just as ridiculous as Putin's propaganda inside of Russia. It's, it's a lie. It's a conceptual lie. It's like, it's like um, you know, um, stop the steal. It's just based on a lie. <clears throat> and so um, I don't know why we can't be stronger. And my question to you really is, uh, um, you know, when you're dealing with um, a psychopath or a psychopathic government, um, do you want to be cowed? Does cowing help? Did, cow, did cowing help uh, Chamberlain? Um, did it uh, defer World War II by one second? Um, did it create peace in our time? Um, if, we, if we conclude that uh, Putin is a psychopath, and I personally do, um, then what's the benefit of cowing? Well, let me answer your question in, in two ways, because I think there is a benefit. Um, and the benefit is that you're not, you're trying to keep the nuclear weapon part of this equation out. And um, you're trying to see, I mean, the Ukrainians obviously are fighting a, a valiant and heroic war, but if the United States comes in too strong, and we, I mean, obviously we have a very strong air force and, you know, our, our air force, you know, um, especially with the, you know, the Raptor jets, you know, is, uh, are, 
are unlike anything that anyone else has. But well, I'm not sure of that because Russia has some very sophisticated fighters, also. Yeah, well, at least at this point, at least you know, this is now my information is about a year or two old. You know that that no one can actually deal with the Raptors um, uh, in the world, including our 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 planes that are you know slightly below this 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 sort of uh, station, but. You know when does um, when does then Putin think that he he's he's justified in using um, a limited nuclear arsenal? And um, the problem with this is that you know if if it's a, it's a guessing game here with um, and it's and it's a power game, but it's a carefully orchestrated chess game as it were. And so the moves that we make now are um, instrumental and. The, the difference, and, and, and going on to the second point that you made, the difference is with Chamberlain, even though the parallel is very good, Jay, um, is that uh, Chamber, uh, Adolf Hitler did not have nuclear weapons. And so, you know, if we get into the nuclear stage, we're really in trouble. And, and, and you may remember we had this discussion also, I don't know if it was our last time on, on Think Tech or, or before that, that, you know, even American diplomats, um, thought that they could use a limited uh, nuclear warfare in the early 60s. And then they discovered, no, this was not going to work because, you know, if we use nuclear weapons, it's, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki all over the place. And, you know, it's going to be much worse now because they're even more powerful and it's going to kill a lot of people and there's going to be radioactivity. So the, the question is, and, you know, and this is where I go back to Masha Gessen. She was saying, you know, there's, she can't see, you know, um, a viable solution right now, but I suspect, I suspect if we keep um, doing what we're doing, find a way to get those MIGs airborne and, um, and also keep supplying the Ukrainians with the appropriate anti-aircraft uh, weapons um, that will see some improvement and, and perhaps Putin can claim partial victory for whatever reason. I mean, he's losing everything right now. Um, I mean, he's gaining territory, but losing the you know the world. Um, and I, I think this is, I think this is the only way. the The other part of this is that you know, if everyone in the world says the way you and I are saying, we are Ukrainians too. All our squares believe in freedom, and um, and makes Putin not uh, Vladimir Putin not only you know um, uh, accused of war crimes, but all of his generals and his soldiers. Um, who have unlawfully invaded another country. We make them all into war criminals and we attack the, the sort of the morale of the soldiers. And then um, in addition, we make Putin uh, paria for the rest of the world, that may, may, meaning that he's not welcome anywhere. Um, and that we close our borders to him and, and, and so does the rest of, the, of Western Europe. And that may, and you, know, and you get negotiators in there saying, look, if you pull all the way back, uh, you know, we'll restore your economy and we'll help you in a variety of ways. But uh, unless that happens, um, I'm afraid uh, that we're in this tricky position. Um, and and we'll, we'll see. I mean, unfortunately, we'll see um, what happens in this, you know, very dangerous um, situation. I mean, after I listened to Masha Gessen, I was uh, ready to uh, build a, a bomb shelter you know? <laughs> as if that would help. Well, I'm really, I am sorry that, um, you know, our style 
called for us to not only, the Biden administration, not only to tell what they knew from their intelligence sources about what, what, what Putin was planning, like what his plans were, but they also talked about their plans. And so as too often the case, we had a public conversation nationally and globally about the pros and cons of a no-fly zone. And um, you know, I, I agree with the fellow a couple of hours ago who pointed out in no uncertain terms that from a military point of view, bad idea. Just do it. Make a decision. Don't get chicken. And you know, and I think that this will ultimately um, define uh, Joe Biden's legacy. Because if he loses U Ukraine by not doing this, um, he's going to be criticized, and that will that will take a toll in the election. Um, and the question then becomes, uh, will he lose Ukraine without doing this? And um, I know I know we have the stingers and the javelins and more, and we're you know delivering all kinds of you know war material and and uh, humanitarian supplies into Ukraine. Um, but the fact is that, that Putin is not affected. He keeps on coming. It's, you know, it's kind of a Russian ethic and it's his ethic as a psychopath to keep on double down, double down, double down. Never admit defeat, never admit you're wrong, just keep on coming. And <clears throat> we're gonna get into a Warsaw ghetto kind of thing where people are shooting at Russian soldiers from under the rubble and uh, trying to slow them down. But ultimately, you know, with the modern mm, technology, the modern weapons of, of, of social destruction, social destruction of terror, if you will, I, I believe that the Russians can stop all of this courage that we see on behalf of the Ukrainians. Um, they, can't, they can't do this forever, even if they're well supplied. Um, at, at the end of the day, I think the Russians, if they take the territory, they can take the people. They don't have to put a puppet in there. All they have to do is make martial law, uh, a la you know, so many countries in Europe in the 30s, and they will squash resistance for a long time. And then you know, we'll look back and say, hmm, how did that happen? What, what should we have done it differently? Well, you know, um, uh, I, I think what mitigates against that, Jay, uh, is that you have uh, people, you know, this is not 1968 and this is not 1956, where you have a whole apparatus in the Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine has, as you mentioned, a democratic government. So um, you can control these people somewhat by your military, but it's going to have a toll. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's going to be Afghanistan all over again for the for the Russians. So I think I think that's problematic. And, and you know, which brings up the the um, the whole notion of um, you know what is Vladimir uh, Putin's end game? And I I don't see it. I don't see an end game. And so I think I know what he wants to do is restore the buffer states around um, Russia the way the former Soviet Union did. But I you know you uh, you know. He's not going to be able to do this, and he's going to have, you know, an insurgency going on for a while. And so I think the best thing that, you know, can happen is having some sort of um, agreement um, among a variety of NATO states in the Ukraine saying to Russia, look, we'll guarantee your borders, uh, but, you know, if you cross them again, 
um, you're going to be in trouble and quickly make um, the Ukraine part of NATO. Um, and I think that's the sacrilege. That's that. That's the sacred line. That if he, like, if he goes in and he bombs a Polish, um, a Polish, a Polish base, all bets are off. Then I think the United States should get involved, um, at least. Um, Wouldn't you be involved. concerned about nuclear war then? Yes, I think we have to be concerned about nuclear war always. But if Putin attacks another sovereign, sovereign country, and it's a NATO country, then he, you know, he's ready to go to nuclear war anyway. That's what I think. Um, if he if he attacks, and he knows that the line has been drawn very clearly about him going into a NATO country, and so I think that he he will test the West at that in that category. And then, you know, um, and this all presupposes, which I said before, that a nuke is, uh, that a nuclear power plant is knocked out. And I I think that's the most likely scenario at this point is that we're going to have a nuclear accident. And then people can, you know, and then, I mean, on one, on one hand, then uh, ironically, I think that Putin can retreat and say, okay, you know, I don't want to get involved in this. It's your problem. Yeah, it's your problem. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I, um, uh, unfortunately, and, you know, I think that we, at this point, if we think about it, we really need um, the help that we could really get that would be the most meaningful is from China at this point. China's not coming around. I'm sorry, yeah. Carl. Yeah, well, China could resolve this. What did they say recently in a single telephone call? Well, they would have to do is call Putin and say, cut it out. That's it. Stop. And that would be the end of this whole affair. But he's not doing that. And uh, he's got his reasons. And uh, and they're not moral reasons. And China has the Chinese government has clearly established that it is not on the moral side of this issue at all. Too bad. Well, they, I, this is an opportunity they blew. They blew. I have no, I have no um, misconceptions about China's uh, involvement because of morality. I do have some hope that the Chinese will get involved because of the economy, that um, uh, because it's hurting the worldwide economy. And that's, that's, that's by the way, uh, what Mashkesson was saying about um, her reports in Russia. I mean, she's now in, in Georgia. And what was interesting about her report is that uh, she said that there's about several hundred thousand Russians that have left Russia because they see the curtain falling again. And they left shortly after the last press was um, eliminated by uh, Vladimir Putin. So they're beginning to have a totalitarian state again. And, you know, I mean, Russia is going to have to rely on its own um, resources. And this time you, you don't have the Eastern European countries to buffer your state. You know, you only have Mother Russia. So, um, I think that's another part of, uh, of this equation. And if there's a possible way of somebody, you know, breaking that um, Russian control, I don't know whether it's through YouTube or what, uh, but to get into Russian, um, Russian media, because right now they're just being, the Russian people are just being fed hour after hour. Of and they're accepting it. Ukrainian Nazis. Yeah, most of them are. Ukrainian Nazis, we had to go in, you know, and he's outlining the, you know, the notion of the word war. And um, as opposed to, you know, some military incursion or something like this. Or and the, Ukra the Ukrainians bombed their own hospital. The Ukrainians are killing their own people. So it's a, it's a facade, you know, it's, a, 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 it's, it's, hard, it's hard to even talk about it. It's so outrageous. Well, but let me, just a couple of points uh, I'd like to make with you. Um, number one is, um, you know, God, this reminds me of, of, of Western literature, global literature. Uh, since since World War II, 
where we have um, the, the mad scientist who has a weapon that will destroy the world um, and, and he uses it to threaten everyone and he gets power beyond what he really should have. Um, and, you know, it's out of Dr. No. It's, it's out of all of those mad scientists in literature and movies and entertainment over the, all these years, it's coming true. And, and, you know, there's a blur between movies and entertainment and literature and reality. And I think that kind of feeds us the notion that you can be a mad scientist and it's a real threat. And that's what, that's what Putin is. I think that's what he's working on. The other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, here you are, here we are um, on March 10th, and we are talking about a, a state of affairs. And it, it, in many ways, the state of affairs is static. I mean, every day, the news is pretty much the same. It's a sad story in Poland and Romania about all the, the refugees. Um, it's uh, the, the case of the sanctions, which are, you know, pretty broad, pretty deep, but not complete. Um, it's the story of, um, you know, of, of Biden leading, you know, NATO to some extent and uh, holding everything together uh, uh, with American leadership. It's, it's kind of static. But you know, and I know in the world that we have lived in, that you got to watch out for something that's static because things change. There's um, the most important fact is that things change. Uh, the only thing for sure is change. And so any of these things I just described to you, um, which seem to be static, are subject of, to enormous changes on any given Friday. And that will change the calculus and what you and I have been discussing, right? Absolutely. And, you know, this, this, um, this notion of change and, you know, Jay, uh, you and I, I'm sure, um, think about this you know, when we asked um, our parents, you know, learning about World War II and the Holocaust, why didn't the United States bomb the trains? Why didn't they bomb the tracks? And we're in that kind of a situation now. Um, and um, as, as you have mentioned many times to me, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, you're, you're seeing the mass slaughter of Ukrainians and it's, you know, it hasn't reached genocidal proportions, but it's, it's getting there. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's um, it's abs it's absolutely horrific, and it's the the um, the tragedy of it all is that it was completely unnecessary and sponsored by one man who is now taking control, you know, um, totalitarian control of the instruments of the news and is selling the Russian people. Um, things that, you know, that they may remember from World War II and how awful the Nazis were. And of course they were. But, um, you know, to, to accuse the Ukrainians with this um, overall brush, I think what you have referred to, and this is something we can learn as Americans, is that the um, big lie and the lies as sponsored by Donald Trump and the um, outcome of these things, including new election laws and things like this, um, while not as destructive as the Russian invasion of Ukraine, are destructive to our uh, republic and to our representative democracy. And um, so, um, you know, for those people who are watching today who may be a Trump supporter, um, I think you got to think again, um, because I, I find a lot of parallels, as you do, Jay, 
uh, between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin? Oh, yeah. Well, um, there are tipping points in the road ahead, Carl. In other words, uh, so we say there are X thousands of people that have been killed in Ukraine needlessly, senselessly, brutally. Um, and um, okay, that, effect, that, that has a certain effect um, on the American government, uh, certainly on NATO and uh, certainly on the EU, which is right next door. Um, but not an effect that will require, that does require the kind of emergent action, the kind of mm, courage, if you will, um, that, that motivates um, those, uh, those jets, the fighter planes. Not yet. Uh, and and there, are, there are fissures still in the American political system. Um, there are 50 countries in Africa um, that support Russia because they have what they consider good relations. A number of dictatorial uh, administrations in Latin America that support Russia. Uh, and this was reflected uh, really interesting in the General Assembly vote a few days ago. They did not vote uh, to, uh, to condemn what, what he's doing um, because they have relationships. But there's the tipping points ahead in the road. Um, and the tipping points are really, I would say, up to him. Um, so for example, if we have, I don't know how many thousands of Ukrainians have been killed, if that number doubles and triples, um, if his um, you know, brutal tactics get worse, more people killed and more footage comes out of Ukraine showing that, you know, the, this horrible result of that, um, that's going to have an effect. It's gonna have an effect on um, the rest of Europe. It's gonna have an effect on the US. It should have an effect on the Trumpers even. Um, and it, it should have an effect on Africa and Latin America. And that is a, a tipping point that we could see. Yeah, I, um, I, I think so, Jay. And I, I think, you know, I'm a bit more positive about the MiGs getting into the air um, because, you know, first of all, they're not American made, um, they're Soviet made, ironically, and um, or perhaps some were made in Eastern Europe. Um, um, but if they get into the air, I think it's a game changer. Um, and how Putin responds will be another issue, but I think it's a game changer because I think then you have, as is happening today uh, with the Stinger missiles, et cetera, you know, um, Russian tanks are being attacked and, you know, it's not a one-way war any longer. Um, you know, the invasion is being halted in certain areas and um, the Ukrainians are um, um, fighting back. And, you know, I, I guess my last comment tonight is going to be um, is what I heard. There was an interview. I'm not sure if it was on MSNBC or CNN um, when they were asking this Ukrainian woman who was, I think she was a teacher and they were continuing to teach in a, in a beleaguered city in the Ukraine. And um, they said, what do you want? And she said, mir, which, you know, in Russian and Ukrainian means peace. And it also has a kind of a meaning of the world. And if you're a 19th century Russian historian like myself, it refers also to the, the peasant commune from years past. So let's hope for some mir, and um, let's hope that you know that the um, uh, the U.S. State Department and some of our um, wise leaders can issue in something that will um, help us all. Although things are not looking 
um, as um, Masha Gessen said today, um, are not looking that great. But um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful, and I think um, when I see the MIGs fighting, I, I will be even more hopeful. Although, as I pointed out, any escalation can be um, dangerous, and and let's hope for you know, let's knock on wood or something um, about um, no nuclear disaster. Yeah, I'm tossed about it, especially after our discussion today. You know, I want to see courage. I want to see Biden having courage. I want to see him also separate diplomacy from war. Um, at the end of the day, you, you have to, in order to protect the free world, you have to have the possibility of arms. You have to have deterrence at the very least. And I think we've lost that somewhere along the way. Our, our young men are not willing to dive uh, for to save Ukrainians, not yet. And uh, I think we have to see this as a global event that affects everyone everywhere. And I think that's coming, Carl. I think it's happening now. I think it's, it's on the television, aside from Russia itself, it's on the televisions in every country everywhere including third world countries um, that, you know, you wouldn't expect to carry it. But what's, what's happening, I think, is the world is coming together in the knowledge of what is happening. The world is coming together in appreciating that there is a, there, ideally, there is a liberal world order at stake here. And if we don't do something to protect it, we'll be back in the 19th century. Yeah, and I, 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 understand where you're coming from, Jay, and I, I think that um, President Zelensky understands this too, but you know, he's been very careful about saying, just give us the weapons and the aircraft, and the Ukrainians themselves will take care of this. And I, I think he understands that, um, as, as we talked about many, uh, you know, I, uh, many times ago, I can't remember when it was, um, that, you know, any country that invades another country and expects to win the war over a long period of time from the American Revolution on is sadly mistaken. And, you know, I mean, again, what is, Putin, uh, what is Vladimir Putin's endgame? Because this is not going to be forgotten. It's not going to be forgotten from, by the Ukrainians. It's not going to be forgotten by all the democratic-leaning Europeans. It's not going to be uh, forgotten by anyone across the world who believes in um, a democracy and freedom, and even for those who um, have been neutral, who do a lot of trading with Russia, they're not going to forget this either. So he's 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 getting in deeper all the time. And once again, um, I think it's you know at the Hague, what we should be doing, and I think they are doing this, is preparing for a a criminal case um, as um, you know a war crime um, case against not only Vladimir Putin, but his, all of his generals and any soldier that participates in killing um, in, or destroying things. So that's the entire army um, in the Ukraine. Uh, all right, let, because, me add, let me add a point for your consideration before we close this down. And that is this, um, you know, I can, hear the, I can hear the voices in my head and the voices are saying in six months or a year, they're saying, we have to move on. We can't look backward. We have to look forward. It's the same thing with the insurrection of January 6th. We can't spend all our time prosecuting those people. We have to forgive them. We have to move forward. It's the nature of our democracy. It's a moral issue. Um, and indeed, if you look at the uh, Holocaust, if you look at the war crimes uh, with, with Ben Ferenz, 
um, as the prosecutor, there were there were 22 defendants. Of the 22 defendants, 19 were found guilty and 12 were sentenced. I mean, this is after 6 million people were killed. Um, so it's not like the world remembers as we would wish. They forget. And I suggest to you that in the fullness of time, although what he's doing right now makes us so angry and, and makes us think we'll never, ever forgive him, uh, in the reality, we may well forgive him. I, you know, I, I, I don't think the Ukrainians will, will ever forgive him. Um, and I think people of Eastern Europe um, will now know his true colors. So, you know, once you get different generations, but, you know, I, I don't think that, um, you know, I think our younger generations don't remember Vietnam. And, you know, we're baby boomers. Um, you know, I'm speaking for myself, but Jay, I don't know, you know, I may be years older than you are, so I don't want to speak for you. And so we remember World War II. Um, but to, you know, to kids growing up today, World War II is really an ancient memory. And I, and, you know, maybe that's the way it should be. I mean, they should study it and they should remember it, but, um, you know, it's, it's not a really living thing unless you have a good history teacher, which I always hoped I was, but, you know, uh, but, um, and hope is, is, a, is an operative term, but, uh, you know, I think that we have to keep what you and I are doing kibitzing about Ukraine right now is extraordinarily important. And again, you know, I think we have to say. Um, and I think you feel very strongly about this, Jay, because, uh, you know, I could tell by your intonation and by what you said today that we're all Ukrainians now. How do you say that in Ukrainian? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it reminds me of the, uh, the French uh, after 9-11. The French said, nous sommes tous Américains. Well, you know, after 9-11, um, one must also remember not only the French, but the British who played the Star Spangled Banner at um, Buckingham Palace, you know, I mean, God save the queen for that. Yeah, we're all Ukrainians, they represent us all. Yes. And, and this, this problem is a problem that we all own and it will affect every single one of us, make no mistake. Thank you so much, Carl. Carl Ackerman, <laughs> we so enjoy these conversations. Jay, I, I feel the same and you're such a mensch. Thank you, Jay. Aloha.